Good morning. I'll try that one more time. Good morning. Good morning. I am uh, delighted to be here. This is not my first time. I actually feel like family uh, because I've been here on a number of occasions. And so I may actually be a little bit more like family than some of you that have just joined us. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, so um, maybe I should be welcoming you instead of you welcoming me. But I, again, I am delighted. Um, and my understanding is uh, Pastor Dan will be back next week, and we're excited about that. But um, before he comes back, why don't we just thank God for Pastor Dan and all of these incredible leaders, as well as the worship team? Can we just praise God for what he's doing here at Springbrook? Is that okay? Are you grateful? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one more opportunity. I just started working out uh, after many, many years, and uh, I go to a gym over in Schaumburg, and if I didn't have that place to go, then I wouldn't be literally as healthy as I am now. Uh, and I've got a little community over there with some friends, and we all work out together, and we're trying to be uh, as physically fit and as healthy as we can be. I know you can't see it, but that's because I'm wearing very baggy clothes, and that's okay. Um, but here's what I'm basically trying to say. Um, that is important to me because it makes me healthier, and it makes me stronger, and it makes me a better person. Church is supposed to do the same thing for our spiritual lives as a gym does for our physical lives. So if you are grateful for what is going on here at Springbrook, let's really give God a hand praise now for what's happening here. Sometimes we take it for granted, but I am grateful for the friendship of Pastor Dan and all of the uh, folks that are here. Uh, you guys just love us well. My wife is not here with me this time. They give me an opportunity to introduce myself, so that's kind of what I'm doing uh, as you're grabbing your Bibles. And so why don't you do that and Acts the ninth chapter is where I'm going to be. But um, my wife is not here. She's usually uh, with us, uh, but she is uh, uh, preparing herself for an exam, and she's out of town. Uh, she's usually here. Those of you that don't know me yet. Uh, I have an incredible wife. Uh, this year will be eight years that we've been married. We've known each other for over 30 because we grew up in the same neighborhood. Uh, we don't have any kids, but she has a dog, and the dog won't die, so the dog is for sale. Uh, if anybody's looking for a dog that doesn't listen, doesn't know his name, eats everything, and never gets enough. So anyways, uh, Acts the ninth chapter is where we will be, and um, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, This will be actually different than the 9 o'clock service as well, Uh, but we're going to do some things uh, maybe similar and some things different. Here's what's important. We want everybody to find the scripture. This is the first time of the several times that I've been here that there won't be any slides. Uh, I usually bring some props and different things like that to kind of illuminate and illustrate the scriptures. I'm actually going to try and make this as intimate as possible because the words that are coming from what we're going to read today, I think, are some things that really should touch each of our hearts individually. So I'm going to try to make this a little bit more intimate, and we won't rely on some of the technology, which is fantastic, by the way. But that means that if you're going to be taking notes or anything like that, I'm going to basically take you all the way back to when we were in grade school, or those of you that are in school. I just want to share that the points and the references, all of that stuff, Uh, It won't be there, so uh, hopefully you'll be able to kind of stick with me. Everybody ready? All right. Acts 9. 
Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats. And I'm reading from New Living Translation, and I'll refer uh, several times to different translations. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. The way is what the Jesus followers were called during this time. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I want to talk with you today from the topic, the anatomy of God's love. The anatomy of God's love. The anatomy of God's love. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that you exhibit your love to me and to us every day. Even before we were born, you showed your love. Before our parents were born, you showed your love. Thousands of years prior to that, you sent your son. He showed his love. And we often take that love for granted, but today I pray that we are renewed afresh with the understanding that you love us, that we have a responsibility as we're in relationship with you to honor your love by loving you back. So we pray that just as we just finished opening up the words, that those words will begin to speak to our heart and the other words that you've shared through your holy word, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. You are my strength, and so I pray that my heart is yours now, and I pray that your heart is mine. You are my redeemer, so I pray that my words are yours, your words are mine, in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline, because when I was in school, the test that I loved the most were the open book test, which means I had all the answers in front of me. And so I'm going to give you the punchline. I'm going to give you the answer to the test. Every test that you will ever take in life that is of a spiritual nature, where it seems like you're dealing with certain difficulty, and I'm going to give you the punchline or the ending of this little talk. I'm going to give it to you all right now. So if you've got a an appointment or a, a lunch date or something that you need to do uh, afterwards. If, if you need to go, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. And no hard feelings. Um, you, you can go ahead and go if you need to. Hopefully you won't, but if you have to, I certainly understand. Here's the punchline. Are you ready for it? God loves us. That's it. Nobody's leaving? Somebody's coming. See what happens with God's love? He draws people with love and kindness. The Bible says, okay, um, God loves us. 
it is not earth-shattering to hear those words, but those words are impactful when your earth is shattering. And I just want to talk a little bit about the fact that we all will need to know and realize that God loves us. I know you've heard it, and I know you know it, and if you've ever been in a Christian gathering like this, it's like, okay, yeah, God loves us. All right, let's go on to the next thing. Like, give me something. Um, Well, let me give you this. There's a guy named Sidney Jones who used to play football for the University of Washington. Anybody in here uh, heard of a guy named Sidney Jones? Great. Nobody's heard of Sidney Jones. Perfect. So Sidney Jones was a defensive back. Uh, for the University of Washington. So if you're not a big football follower, I can give you a quick little crash course. Um, This particular type of defensive back is the cornerback that is responsible for stopping the wide receivers from catching touchdowns or catching the ball in any manner to gain ground. So Sidney Jones was the number one cornerback in college football a year and a half ago. Number one. He was the number one cornerback, which is also a defensive back. They play on defense. And so his job is basically to backpedal and to try and stop the receiver. He's playing on defense, stop the receiver from catching a touchdown or catching any ball that would help them to gain ground. That's his job. Sidney Jones was number one in the nation in college. And nobody in here has ever heard of him, but he was number one. It's okay. He was number one. And Sidney Jones was doing as most... uh, Student athletes do when they're in college. They dream of going professional, and it was time for him to go professional. And Sidney Jones had an incredible career, and he did great against every school except the University of Alabama, which is where I went, but that is a different story. Um, But Sidney Jones was fantastic at the University of Washington, and it was time for him to have his pro day. A pro day is where the professional recruits from all of the NFL teams They actually come to the university, and they see the intangibles, the measurables. They uh, see how fast the individuals can run, how high they can jump, can they catch, can they throw, all of that. The day came when the number one defensive back, Sidney Jones, was there for all of the professional scouts to evaluate him at the University of Washington. And Sidney Jones was doing all of his drills, and he was going through, and for the last drill... Sidney Jones was doing just a technique that he has done hundreds, probably thousands of times. And Sidney Jones made one misstep and blew out his Achilles. Sidney Jones, who was supposed to be the number one defensive back taken in the draft last year, first round, somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 12 to 30, 40 million dollars, made one misstep in a routine that he's done thousands of times. And he fell, blew out his Achilles, and then everything changed. Have you ever had dreams, goals, ambitions, aspirations, desires, hopes? And all of a sudden you get a text message or a call or an email, or a ring at your doorbell, or a knock on the door, or you have a conversation, or someone comes into your office, or someone comes into your room, and something is said, and everything changes. What that's called is a storm. 
everything was going fine. This was supposed to be just like any other day. And I looked at my phone and I get a text message. Nothing is the same ever again. I pick up the telephone. What did I do that for? Nothing is ever the same. Have you ever been through that? Well, I'm only talking in this talk with the folks that will have or are experiencing a storm. And everybody that I've ever met either is coming from a storm, going to a storm, or you're in a storm right now. Everybody. Everybody is either coming from or going to or you're in one. What is a storm? A storm is when you get that telephone call from the doctor like I did a couple of years ago and they say that your wife has cancer. Praise God, now my wife is cancer free. A storm is when you're just driving like I was yesterday and you're just doing your routine drive and all of a sudden you hit a pothole and it blows out your tire. Storm is when you find out your child is missing or you get a bad medical report or you get an email from your job that they need to talk with you in the HR department and we're going to have to make some cuts. Or when you are the job, in other words, you are the boss, you are the employer and you're going to have to cut some people and now you don't know what's going to happen with their livelihood. A storm is when you find yourself in a situation that you hoped would not happen, but here you are. The wife says that she doesn't want to be with you anymore. Your husband doesn't come home. We all find ourselves from time to time in storms. Now, here's the deal about storms. Storms are you just walking along and all of a sudden, like Sidney Jones, boom, a misstep, blow out your Achilles, you fall, and everything changes. It's just doing your regular deal. We all do that. And some people find storms because they did something wrong. That's what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Acts with Paul. His name was Saul, but then it became Paul. And we're going to talk about the storm that he found himself in, how he made a misstep and he fell and he found himself in a storm. But there are certain folks, you don't have to do anything wrong. I thought I might get two people that would say amen on that. You don't have to do anything wrong to find yourself in a storm. I wouldn't do anything wrong when I was driving along yesterday. Tire's fine now. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Thanks for asking, by the way. I wasn't doing anything wrong when I got a call from my wife's doctor. One August night, Friday night, 9 o'clock at night, we weren't doing anything wrong. So there are certain people like Job. You do remember Job in the Old Testament, right? He was called a person that was whole or perfect, one who was after God's heart, someone who uh, eschewed evil, he shunned evil, he tried to stay away from trouble, and he tried to just pursue the things of God. And all of a sudden, he found himself in a storm, and everything he had was basically taken away or destroyed 
Even his marriage was in severe trouble. His, his wife told him, the God that you've been serving, look at what this God has done to you. And now you're in this storm. You should just curse this God and you're going to die anyway, so go ahead and die. This is what his wife said. This is what Job found himself in. But Job did not curse God. He stayed faithful. Job didn't do anything wrong, but what God did for Job is what he has done for some of us. He realizes that you're strong enough to make it through this storm. So it is a privilege for God to select you to be tested. You didn't have to do anything wrong to be in certain storms like Job's. But what God will do is those of us that have been tried with temptation, which is the word for test, he will make a way for you to pass that test. The Bible says a way to escape. And that's exactly what he did for Job. He allowed Job to overcome. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And though skin worms will try and destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked did I come into this world and naked will I return. Job stayed faithful, and when it was all said and done, you all know this story, don't you? When it was all said and done, he had received more than what he had in the beginning. That is a faithful God. That's a God that loves you. Somebody ought to shout amen. But there are certain storms. There are certain storms that happen because we were going in the wrong direction. If you've ever been going in the wrong direction, just blink your eyes. Don't tell on yourself. Just blink your eyes. Like Saul of Tarshish, he was going in the wrong direction. He was persecuting Christians. Saul was a defender of those things that were supposed to be people trying to get to experience God's will. He was trying to prevent. He was playing defense. He was trying to prevent people from receiving like a wide receiver, touchdowns, receiving what God has. Saul was trying to persecute and kill people that were trying to benefit. And he became the number one defensive back, the number one cornerback, the number one persecutor, the number one person trying to prevent God's team from scoring touchdowns. Are y'all still with me or did I lose you? You guys still with me? Came number one, but... On one fateful day, on the Damascus Road, Saul, who became Paul, took a misstep and fell. And when he looked up, the words of God said, Saul, why are you playing for the University of Washington and not the University of Alabama? I'm sorry. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you on the wrong team? Why are you playing defense and not offense? Why aren't you on the winning team? Don't you realize there's nothing you can do that will defeat me because I'm God and I'm undefeated. And Saul said, Lord, what do you you want me to do? And the scriptures say, 
uh, I want you to go, and there's a street called Straight, and uh, metaphorically speaking, there's a lot of symbolism there, and uh, you'll meet Ananias, and you're going to be on a whole different path. In other words, you were on one uh, street, and you were going the wrong direction. Now I want you to turn around uh, spiritually, and uh, Saul, who became Paul, he did, and he received the Holy Spirit, and he was baptized, and Saul, who became Paul, is accredited for writing more books in the Bible than anybody else. And so there are three things, because they told me, hey, you may want to have three points. Uh, so I've got three points, and um, they said, okay, uh, give you three points, and you've got an hour and a half to give those three points. And so um, for the next hour, I'm going to give you these three points. Okay, that was a lot funnier in my head. Um, and uh, here are the three points, and then we'll be done. Here are the three points. Um, the, the first point, is that we've got to understand God's way. I'm going to go ahead and give you the second one because I just like having all the answers. Uh, And since they're in the Bible, I'm just going to give it to you. Uh, The second one is we've got to understand God's word. And then the third one is we've got to understand God's will. I'll write them down because I, I want them for myself here. We've got to understand God's way, we've got to understand God's word, and we've got to understand his will. That's, that's really good. I think I'm going to take a picture of that. Okay. Got it. So I don't want to forget. All right. So we've got to understand his way. His ways are good. His ways are righteous. His ways are wonderful. He teaches us that we have a way that is perfect if we will follow him, but we also have the opportunity to do our own. Now, the only way that we really can understand his way is if we understand what it means to be in relationship with him. We've got to understand a little bit of who he is in order for us to understand that his way is righteous, his way is perfect, his way is good, his way is holy, his way is acceptable. And how are we going to really be able to be in relationship with him unless we open up his word, which is the second part, unless we spend time with him, unless we're willing to go through the storm. I didn't say to the storm, but through the storm. And he's able to get you through the storm. And if you're in one now, my heart goes out to you. I'm telling you, my heart goes out to you. But I'd love to say this a thousand times. God loves you. Because you don't know what the person next to you is going through, would you just remind them, would you encourage them right now and just say those words very simply, God loves you. Oh, uh, you chose the wrong person. Find another neighbor and, and, and just encourage your other neighbor. Just, just say those words as loud or as soft, as sweetly, or as impactful as you can. Just say those words. God loves you. All right, don't, no making out or kissing or anything like that. Just, 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 just a simple God loves you. It's, but it is, it is a beautiful thing, right? God loves you. Somebody ought to shout amen for God's love. So how do we get to be in relationship with him? We've got to stay in his word. We've got to understand what it means to go through those storms and rely on him. We have the opportunity to pray. 
And, um, and let me just say why it's so important. I was at a funeral for a friend of mine uh, who lost his father. I was back in Indiana, and I was at this funeral, and you know how they open up at certain funerals uh, an opportunity for people to come in and say a few words about the person who's passed away. Well, that happened, and uh, a gentleman came down to be able to talk a little bit about the, the person who passed away, and this gentleman got up and he said to the Stennett family, I'd like to say I'm really sorry for your loss, and you have my condolences, and I want to just let you know that I had great times with Mr. Stennett, and I had great times uh, seeing him. I was at his wedding, and uh, I was there for the birth of his first child, and we would travel together, and uh, I'm going to miss Mr. Stennett. And um, about five minutes into his talk, someone else came and whispered something into his ear. Now, I don't know exactly what was whispered into his ear, but I do know when the man who was whispering went and sat back down, the gentleman who had been talking, he said, I'm sorry, I have the wrong family. <laughs> I can't make this up. I promise I cannot make this up. So at that time, I pulled out a sheet of paper and I started writing because I didn't know how this was going to end. But I'll tell you today how this ended. The first thing is, this gentleman now had to have the walk of shame back to his seat. And then the second thing is, and I feel really bad about this, um, whoever Mr. Stinnett is and the Stinnett family, I don't know, but this man woke up that morning thinking that he was going to say some words over his friend and when he finds out that he was at the wrong funeral, he's going to have to go through the grieving process all over again. And I feel really bad about that. But you know what I wrote down as the third thing that I, I gleaned from that? There are a lot of people talking about God that don't really have a relationship with him. Similar to how this man was talking about Mr. Stinnett. And there was no Mr. Stinnett there. He was supposed to be talking about this man who was in the casket that he had no relationship with. I've never seen anything like this in my life. But I know that there are people that sing about a Jesus they don't really know. And there are people that write about it, like scholars, and they blog posts and books uh, to sell things. But they, but they don't really know who he is. And to know him is to know his way. What do you have for me to do? Saul said. Where do you want me to go? He says, I want you to go down this road. You're going to meet a man named Ananias, and he's going to show you what to do. Second thing is, you've got to know his word. You've got to be able to understand his word. And isn't it a beautiful thing? that we have the opportunity to read a text message, literally, from God every single day. Scientists have done the research, and they have shown, particularly with young adults and college students, but with anybody, 
We say young adults and college students because 80 to 90% of them have smart devices and they get text messages. But just about all of us have some type of mobile device where we get a text message. There is dopamine that kicks up. There's a chemical reward that happens in your brain when you get that ding. Or when you, um, when you know that you've got a text message, when you've got a message from someone. You, you get a little bit excited. Your brain says, oh, look at this. This may be something good. And wouldn't it be beautiful if we had that same thing with regards to God's text messaging every day? No amens. Okay, I'll go to the next point. I knew you weren't going to like that point because that's why I hit it uh, at number two. I hit it between these two, the first and the third. I knew you weren't going to like that one. So I got the third point. Don't worry. We're going to move on to the third point. Are you all ready to move on to the third point? All right, here's the third point. Uh, You've got to understand God's will. He's got a will for each of our lives. And when you're going through your storm, you want to know which way to go. Don't take Lake Cook Road because there's a lot of potholes. You got to know his word. It's here. You got to understand it. You got to hear it maybe. Read it. Maybe you got to go on the church website and listen to some older sermons. But you also got to know What does he have for your life? Now, when you do this, you will be able to experience and understand God's love. So so what is this anatomy of God's love? This this anatomy of God's love. All right, I've got uh, about 10 minutes to be able to explain this. I think I can do it in less. Um, The anatomy of God's love is the fact that he does all of this even though we often make missteps. You've heard this before, I believe. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you will do. God loves you. Praise God for that. And, and, and those of you that have been through a tremendous difficult, I mean, you really should be running around this room because you, me, us, we've all been through some things that we know it was only God that allowed us to still be alive and not lose our mind. And um, that's what his love is all about. But let me, let me try to break it down for those of us that uh, may want to see the formula. Um, I think the best way to understand uh, God's love, the anatomy of God's love, is perhaps to start with human love and all of its frailty. So, so let's, let's take a look perhaps at human love, and uh, maybe that'll give us a, a good understanding of what God's love is all about. All right? So the first thing is human love looks like this. Human love says, if you are going to fall in love with someone, this could be a um, uh, a marital situation, a future marital situation, it could be a a strong friendship, whatever the case is, but let's just take like a a marital situation. We're going to fall in love with someone. There are a lot of things that go into play. There's um, this thing called mapping, um, where you've got to make sure that you've got the right proximity to a person. It's hard to fall in love with someone uh, that might be living in China, for example. Um, you've got to make sure that the timing is right. There are some social things uh, that you want to make sure that you have in common. Like, there's this whole map that has to just be in place. This is the an anatomy of human love. Everybody still with me? Now, those of you that 
are looking to fall in love, this is the time that you may want to wake up because this, this, this will get it to you, I promise, okay? When, when, you, when you realize this, and when I get done with explaining this, you're going to be so confused, you don't know what love is. But just stay with me. Okay, so, so this is the anatomy of human love. Um, the three steps that scientists say allow a person to experience love are this. The first one is lust or infatuation. So if you meet someone, oftentimes it's in the first two weeks, you meet someone and um, you look past all of the things that they do negatively and you're like, man, I just, there's just something about this guy. There's just something about this girl. And, um, and you just really want to be with that person. And this is the point where you'll stay up all night long on the phone, eight hours. Have you ever been there? with someone, and you're just listening to them breathe. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You just, or, or you go to the park, and you're just staring in one another's eyes. Why do y'all do that? Okay, so, so you've, got, you've got this lust or this infatuation. That's the first phase. Then the second phase is, if you all make it to the second phase, is what you call romance. That's where you actually give something of yourself. You're giving of your time. You're, you're, you're giving of your resources. I'm actually exhibiting what this looks like. I'm, I'm being creative. I'm being romantic, if you will. So the first phase is this infatuation phase. The second phase is, is romantic love, is what the scientists call it. And then the third phase is attachment. That's where the person just won't leave. Hey, we've been married for 40 years. Where are we going? Right? So, so you have this, this, uh, these three areas, okay? But if you were to look at the human brain when it's in love, human brain, it looks like this. Um, It's got these three circles. Uh, The first circle in no particular order is dopamine. Remember, I talked about dopamine. Dopamine is that neurological pathway that is the reward center in each of our brains. And uh, it gives you... um, uh, It gives you a reward. It lets you know that something is going good. For example, I just started working out. Uh, about three months or so ago, and I know you can't see it because I'm wearing baggy clothes, um, but, uh, but I'm very, very strong. I'm, uh, I'm about 6'5", uh, and I'm uh, 235, and, and it's because I've been working out. And here's what happens. It takes 18 to 21 days to make a habit or break a habit. And when you get to, for instance, about day 30, the dopamine in your brain says, this is good. So if you really wanted to start working out or you wanted to start any good habit, you just started, but you've got to stay consistent. And after 18 to 21 days, there's going to be some dopamine that kicks in that says, oh, yeah, let's keep going. I'm seeing a change. Are y'all still with me? Shout amen. Then you have this thing called norepinephrine. Norepinephrine, the best way to describe it is it's adrenaline, uh, drugs with norepinephrine in it often regulate blood pressure. And so you've got dopamine, you want that to go up. Norepinephrine, that's your adrenaline. When you see something, I like this, I do more than I previously would have done. Remember, this is the anatomy of human love. Dopamine goes up, norepinephrine goes up. Serotonin actually goes down. Serotonin goes down about 40% when scientists scan brain waves of people that say that they are in love your serotonin levels go down about 40% to the levels of people that have OCD, which makes sense because serotonin is based on people that are obsessed with one another. OCD, obsessive compulsion disorder. 
or obsessive compulsive disorder, or it really probably should be uh, CDO because you have to put them in the right. Okay, never mind. So here's what actually happens. There are certain drugs that are serotonin enhancing. And your levels go up instead of going down. Remember, the, the brain waves, the scans suggest that this is going down, this is going up, this is going up. And that produces love for people that say that they're in love. But if you're eating something or drinking something or whatever and your serotonin actually goes up, it can create a chemical imbalance and the person that was in love with you yesterday could literally turn to you tomorrow or today and say, I'm no longer in love with you. Do you realize how difficult it is for some people to just love one another and stay in love with one another when you're looking at human love? And I'm so thankful that God's love is not like, it is not like human love. About three of y'all should be running around this room when you look at this because you, you've had people that have told you, yeah, this is not going to work. It's not you, it's me. And they're telling the truth. It's not you, it's actually them. Something has changed. But God's love looks like this. It is absolutely unconditional. Absolutely unconditional. It doesn't matter if you're like Saul and you make a misstep and you find yourself in the middle of a storm. It doesn't matter if you didn't cause it like Job. It doesn't matter if you made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. You said you weren't going to do something again and you did it anyway. God still loves you. And it doesn't matter the storm either. Doesn't matter if you have a loved one that's been told they have cancer or if it's you yourself or if you've got a little child that is sick and not doing well. Doesn't matter if your house is about to be foreclosed on or if you don't have a job right now and you're trying to figure out what your next meal is going to look like or if you've got enough gas to make it home. Doesn't matter what kind of storm you're in. Doesn't matter if you saw something that you really wish you hadn't seen about a loved one having a conversation with someone else. Doesn't matter if you just got into an accident. God loves you. And I wish I could say it a thousand times. God loves you. God loves you. And his love is going to be there every step of the way. So, what do we have to do? We've got the responsibility to make sure that we understand we've got to worship, we've got to be in community, and we've got to have purpose. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Paul found himself in this storm. He started following God. He uh, had his conversion process from Saul to Paul. He was playing defense. He started playing offense. Now he is doing the right thing, but the disciples don't believe him because of his bad reputation. Jesus' disciples won't even meet with Paul. 
And so he finds this guy named Barnabas. They start taking trips. One of the trips is in such a bad physical storm that the ship breaks apart after it had been sinking. And so Paul only makes it to shore on broken pieces. He gets to shore. He's looking for some food. And he gets bitten by a poisonous snake. He shakes the snake off. People find out that he's preaching Jesus now instead of persecuting Jesus. And they are looking to stone him to death. After he uh, eludes being stoned to death, they throw him in prison. And after he's stoned in prison, he writes a letter saying, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, nothing will separate me from God's love. Let me conclude with this. Um, If you're going to do your purpose, you've got to understand your spiritual gift. You'll have to take some notes on this. And thankfully for you, uh, we've got a spiritual gifts class coming up. Uh, The spiritual gifts uh, can be anything from teaching to uh, leadership to discernment. Uh, to help. You've got to understand your spiritual gift. The Apostle Paul said, we all have certain gifts that are supposed to be uh, for the benefit of the body of Christ that God himself has given to every Christ follower. You've got to understand your spiritual gift. Each person has a talent or ability. Each person uh, can do something well. Now, um, like singing, for example. But if you hurt people with your singing, that's not your talent or ability. Um, It may be something else. But we all have something that we're really good at that's been affirmed by people. And then this last one is our holy discontent. It's our frustration. Each of us has something that really just causes us not to be okay with it when we see it. Like uh, child hunger or global poverty or racism or uh, human trafficking, something like that. When you mix this, you find the intersection between your spiritual gift, your natural talent and ability, and your holy discontent or your frustrating moment, that's where you find your purpose. That's where you actually get on offense. And so you remember Sidney Jones, I conclude with this. Sidney, remember he was the defensive back. Nobody knew who he was before. Uh, Sidney, he did get drafted. He didn't get drafted in the first round. Uh, He lost uh, tens of millions of dollars because he made that misstep. He fell like Saul fell. But um, at the last game of the season, Sidney Jones, the guy who was the number one defensive back, who was supposed to be the number one defensive back taken in the draft, he was found lifting his hands because he worked very hard. He got himself back up. He did the right things. He got back on the right road, and he was lifting his hands, and he was celebrating because he got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. And if he hadn't made that misstep, and if he hadn't fallen in the draft and fallen physically, he would not have gotten drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, and he would not be right now a Super Bowl champion on the right team. And I just want to say, that's how much God loves us. Even when we make a mistake, or if we didn't make one at all, he loves us. Would you stand as we pray? God, I'm grateful for your way your word, and your will. 
And I pray now that just as you looked at my talents and abilities, you saw that I could do certain things that you've wired me to do, maybe even as like a communicator. And you, you gave me the gift of leadership and evangelism and teaching, and I'm grateful for that. And just as I have this frustrating, holy discontent of anyone who's not in a transformational relationship with Jesus. And I was able to go from defense to offense and find my purpose and live as I'm trying to an abundant life. As as you did that for me, and for the last 18 years I've been pastoring and planting churches, The first 12 years, I did it with no income at all because I was in my purpose. God, just as you did that for me, I I beg of you to do it for the person that's in this room that doesn't have purpose, that doesn't know which way to go, that doesn't quite understand your will or your way. Would you do it now? In other words, would you show them your love? For those of us that are in storms, Would you guide us through it? You promised. And God, I pray for this church community that it would always be faithful to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.